Okay, that's enough. Test. I've let you guys go long enough. You got this whole, we need to be a community. We need to talk to each other. Well, you can do that on your own dime. Okay, so let me, uh, let me give you some updates because you know, I'm getting a lot of questions about it. So, yes, I did have a car wreck Monday. Um, it's okay. My Jeep is fine. I was in my wife's car. So... So, uh, so, um, um, but, um, I, I'm fine. Ken DeGraff, Representative DeGraff is with me. We're both okay. His neck's a little sore. I've got, I'm a little sore in my, my back right here and then my leg right here. I'm not sure why. I can't figure out exactly, recreate that, how I hurt myself like that, but, um, Every now and then, my muscle back here just starts spasming, which hurts, but, but I'm okay. Um, really messed Linda's car up. Uh, we were going down the freeway, and, and I don't know for sure how, but this girl just came across a couple lanes and just, like, T-boned me going down the freeway. So, um, so then I did some stuff for a while and, uh, and then finally got it straightened out just in time to nail a guy in front of me. So... Um, if, and I hit him so hard, Linda's license plate was stuck in his bumper. And we, we kept trying to get out there because a while to pop it out of his bumper. But, um, <clears throat> but I don't think I cried one time. Um, but, no, I'm fine. Um, so everybody keeps asking me, is this a conspiracy? Does somebody do this on purpose? No. <laughs> There's no way. Uh, that girl wasn't bright enough. So... Um, you, you didn't talk to her. I did for an hour. But, uh, um, but I, do, I do say this, okay? I say this as a little joke, but I do say this. Um, I know, while I was, I was talking to my son at lunch today, and we were talking a little bit about it. And I told him I can remember every single thing moving around the car, like my bag was sliding forward, my keys came out hit the back of the seat. I could, I could see my jacket in the mirror at the same time, sliding off the hanger and heading for the floor and all this stuff. And, um, and watching that car, knowing I'm going to hit it pretty hard, but I can't do anything about it. You know, absolutely nothing can I do. Because it was also snowing. And, um, and the whole time knowing, and I, and I talked to Linda about this a little bit, just a little bit after that, was I know God had his hand on me. There's no doubt about that. It's one of those moments when you can tell... Um, this could have, should have been a lot worse, um, going that fast with the snow and everything and all the cars. And the girl that came over and hit me, I'm pretty sure she caused, right behind us, immediately after this happened, there's like a 15-car pileup. Well, she caused that too, um, somehow. Well, I, I mean, it's kind of obvious when you're coming across traffic like that. But, um, and then there was a little girl in the car we hit. She's about an eight-year-old girl, and she was horrified. Um, I walked up, and she looked at me and just started crying more. I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't try to hurt your car, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I know God was taking care of me. So, so, um, so a couple of things happening. I told you I'd use this time to do this. Um, you can also go to the uh, state, the um, uh, Colorado State Capitol website, and you can go to House of Representatives, and you can go and look at stuff and watch stuff. I mean, last week or week before, whenever I showed that little clip of the video, I'm not going to do that all the time, but you can go either to my website, my, my uh, political website, or, um, or we'll be sending out some emails and stuff, but you can go to the Capitol site, too, and watch videos of certain things that have happened. Um, and uh, we had, um, last uh, Friday, I believe, these days are all running together in my head now. But um, last Friday, I think it was, we did the uh, March for Life thing. Was that Friday? We did the 50th anniversary of March for Life, and all of the Republicans that were there came down and stood in solidarity with us, and three of us spoke on the uh, March for Life. And, um, and I think it was really good. There was one of our representatives, Brandy Bradley. She's a really strong conservative, along with the group of us that are conservative. 
and uh, she gave a speech that was very, very solid. I, I would suggest you go look at it. I, I gave a speech too, but mine was very small, and I tried to keep it limited to a specific subject. And, um, but hers was really powerful. So any of those kind of things that you ever want to do, you can look it up. If you ever have a question, you can give me a call. Um, I can tell you where to find that kind of stuff. So I know that some of you have heard about some of this stuff that's going down, and, and I want you to know, because I, I had a, I've had a couple hundred people email me about this in the last week and a half, at least, probably more than that. Um, there, is, there is a bill that has been put forward before the House. I talked about this a little bit last week. But this bill will basically um, make it illegal. And, and, by the way, interestingly, I've gotten some Democrats that have sent some emails to me that are saying we're going to stand against this bill, although it was presented by a Democrat, which I don't know. You never know about that, right? But this is good because it is so bad. Um, it's going to take all... It's going to make it illegal to have anything that would be considered by somebody like the state or somebody else um, that if they consider it an, an assault weapon, um, any AR platform, anything that looks like that, they're going to consider that. Uh, you will not be able to um, buy them anymore, purchase something anymore. And people are saying, yeah, but you'll still be able to have them. You'll be grandfathered in. But the bill specifically says that... Um, if you are grandfathered in, you can keep your ARs, you can keep all that stuff, but you, can, you have to keep it in a locked cabinet, and you can never take it out of that cabinet. And you can't ever sell it to anybody, like in another state or anything like that. If it ever comes out of your cabinet and somebody finds out about that, it will be confiscated, and you can do jail time, and you can have fines. Any dealer that sells any kind of weapon that has an AR platform or any kind of what anybody considers assault, okay, that's a lot of stuff. Um, the dealers can be fined $250,000 and um, put in jail for up to four years. Uh, and so they're like, we're not taking your guns away. What? Making them being locked in a cabinet in, the, in my house the rest of my life? That's not taking your guns away? What is the difference? You can go look at it. You can open the cabinet and peek in at it. But don't open the door too far because if it falls out, you're going to jail. So, um, the next bill that's coming along, that one's already been introduced. We already can read that one. You can go to the state website and you can read it for yourself. And uh, the next one that's coming down that has not been released yet basically takes the rest of the guns. It says anything with any kind of uh, semi-automatic capabilities um, will be now, uh, same category, be illegal. Okay. I'm hoping that that won't pass. If it does, and it goes to the Senate, I'm hoping that saner minds will prevail in the Senate. If it doesn't, and then Governor Polis signs it, which is, here's the tricky thing. I don't think Governor Polis will sign it right now. You guys know why? I mean, he's very, very liberal. He would love to get rid of all of our guns, but do you know why he won't sign it? Because he's running for president in two years. Um, but if he does, for some reason, they'll take it across the street to the Supreme Court. So it's not like, it's not like this, this law is going to have any teeth to it because nobody's going to do anything about it. No sheriffs are going to go, yeah, I'll go round up all the guns. I mean, that's even worse than, like, confiscating eggs right now. You don't want to play that. You don't want to play that game. Those things have bullets in them. So, all right. Any questions about any of that? Something? Liz, did you raise your hand? I saw you raise your hand. Her stress level? My stress level. Oh. Over guns? No. <laughs> the stress relief, that stuff doesn't really work. That's, those are placebo effects. So, who's with me? All right. So, um, <clears throat> so this week coming up, this weekend, um, continuing with the... Um, with the uh, um, vision, what we're trying to accomplish, breaking that down and, and um, working that out over a few weeks kind of thing. I'm going to be looking at... Now, these are also all of the uh, foundations of who we are, and I think this is important. You know, you can, you can have all, you know, strategic plans all day long, but if you don't have a walk with the Lord, it doesn't matter. Right. I know churches that are growing like crazy now because they have strategic plans. But there's not any spirituality, there's no depth, there's no relationship with God. Um, we see that constantly. We see it where 
Every time we turn around the news, some other minister is being dismissed or kicked out of the church or something because they, they have moral failure. When, when, does, when does that stop? You know, I've had people say to me that, um, well, pastors are just like everybody else. I get that, except they're not called the same as everybody else. They're called to something higher. And on top of that, we should expect this from everybody. This is called being a Christian. There's so many stats right now that are out in all kinds of different... I was looking through a bunch today that have to do with the fact that people just don't think there's any um, rights or wrongs. or absolute. This is in the church. There's no absolutes, rights or wrongs, any of that kind of stuff. Um, that it's not wrong anymore for, for us. Or I don't know if they ever thought it was wrong, but it's not wrong to, um, to have affairs or to, um, to sleep around. That doesn't, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Except that it does to Jesus. It really does. He told us, don't do this stuff. And he told us for so many reasons, don't do this stuff. So I'm going to be breaking that down a little bit more in detail with you know, kind of the sin mentality Sunday. But I want us to look at something that you might not have processed before. Now, this is actually, to me, this is, this is fairly important when it comes. Now, and, and I didn't know this for years. In fact, I didn't, I didn't even understand this. And if you would have said this to me, I wouldn't have understood the concept for a long time until in Scripture and then through some um, practical things, I began to see something. That, and then God was showing me something I really hadn't seen before. And um, so, so here's the, the sentence, and we got a lot of answers to this, but, and this probably all be good, and I want you to say them, but I want to focus on something you might not have seen before. How, how do we fight Satan? How do we fight Satan? Word of God. That's the starting point for everything about spiritual warfare. It's the Word of God. Okay? Somebody else said something? Hey? Prayer. Um, we, we fight Satan through prayer, through working through the things that God wants for us. But it's not just praying. It's not just asking for things. There has to be a, a communication. There has to be a back and forth. There needs to be conviction. Um, to, to be able to really fight against the stuff that Satan's doing. You have to, you have to be praying with intentionality. And, yet, and that, we talked about that two Wednesday nights ago. You have to be praying very intentionally, right? Pleading the blood of Jesus, um, uh, claiming the stuff that God has said in, your word, in his word. And then, um, you know what I said last Sunday, uh, um, binding up things on earth, loosing things on earth, those things are happening in the spiritual realm. And then in the authority of Jesus, God backs that up. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. But that's in the authority of Jesus. You don't have the power, the ability to do that within yourself. Uh, remember the, the guy that was going to cast out demons, and, um, and he went to the guy with, he had seven, um, se- he had seven brothers. He went to the guy who was going to cast the demons out, and he says, I know, I know um, Peter and I know Paul, but I don't know who you are. And and gave him a good whooping. All the brothers, not just him. Tore up all the brothers. Because we, and, and I do think that's kind of a concept in American Christianity right now. That, that we, we, just because we act it and, and, um, and talk it, we think we're really whatever that is. You know, in the concept of Christianity. That just because if I, if I say it right and I do it right, well then Satan's got to jump Two or whatever the case is, he's not, he's not obligated to anything except the name of Jesus. And that has to be the true authority of Jesus. In other words, what I also read last Sunday, when you, when you're, when you come to Jesus, he says, but I didn't know you. All right? There needs to be that, that relationship context uh, of this, that you are walking in Christ regularly. Okay, so, so more. What, what's an, how do we fight Satan? Fasting, Jesus specifically said that. They tried to cast out demons and they couldn't. <clears throat> I think it's Mark 8. He said this doesn't come out except by praying and fasting. Why, why is fasting important to spiritual warfare? Yeah, that's a good start. Jesus said so. Let's go a little deeper than that. Okay, um, so say that again, Rob, in the microphone and explain that. What do you mean it gets us closer to Jesus? Well, like if our strength is in him, if he is the strength in our weakness, and the enemy attacks us, 
in a way that exploits that weakness than getting closer to him. I don't know if that makes sense. So the, the question I have, all that's true. The question I have is how does fasting get us closer to Jesus? Give him back the microphone. He has to answer this. He started this. How does fasting get us closer to you? You're correct. How does that happen? So I, we, we actually just started a, a, the media fast for the youth group, and I had stated this uh, during Sunday before we started and had said that, you know, because everything's a relational context with God, that just like if I were to spend time with you and want to get closer to you, we would spend time doing things that you like to do, right? Instead of doing what I want to do, we do what you want to do. I like and, that. And so um, the same concept is with God. It's not, a, it's not a diet per se, you know, a diet of attitude or a diet of whatever. It's a, a putting aside of yourself to focus in on him and bring yourself closer to him in that way. Yeah, that's a good answer, that you're, you're, you're putting the stuff that's normally important to you. And, and here's the thing with fasting. I know there's all kinds of, like they're doing the media, I mean the... Um, the um, media fast, and then, but, but Josh is fasting caffeine, so is that just what you're doing, Josh? The, uh, so part, of the they part of what they're doing is they also have to choose, like, a food item to fast while they're fasting the media. Okay. So I think things like media, and you guys heard me tell you, Facebook, your phones, all this, I think it's good to fast that stuff, too, because it has so much control. But really, at the end of the day, the things that are the necessity to us is what Jesus is asking us to fast for because that is something that we're making a conscious decision to, to tell ourself, our flesh, our body, that you're not in charge. And our body says, well, I eat three times a day. And you say, well, you're not going to now. Because why? We're going to spend time with the Lord. So you're telling this flesh, this physicalness, you're not in charge so that the, the person inside, you, the person inside of this flesh can listen to the Spirit. Okay, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that Sunday. But, but remember, you got body, soul, spirit. However you want to put that. The body, the flesh wants things, stuff, desires, all this kind of thing. Your soul is you making the decision. Do you listen to your flesh? Do you listen to the Holy Spirit? Okay? And the Spirit is the part of us that God creates that can interact with Him. Okay? So you have the choice of those three things. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I keep saying this. But I'm going to do a, a, probably a Wednesday night thing on Romans 6 and 7 and just kind of walk through this. You can choose. Every day you choose. Do you walk in the flesh? Do you walk in the spirit? That's what Paul was talking about. Rick? I think that's the challenge that some people I've seen have is they say, well, I'm fasting. But they're not replacing that with spending time with God. <clears throat> and so they're saying, why is the fasting working? Well, you're not doing something to improve your relationship with them. You're just not eating. You're not doing something. Yeah, that's a diet. Yeah. So, so there's scripture about this, that, that it says when you have, uh, when you have cleaned the house, you, you, the demon is cast out and you've cleaned the house. It says that later that, that demon will come back seven times stronger or seven more demons, I guess you could say it that way. That demon will come back sevenfold stronger. Now, why is that? If the demon has been cast out and you've cleaned the house, why can the demons come back? There's, the house is empty. There's nothing, there's nothing going on. There's nothing that has changed. You just, and, and I've seen this. Somebody really wants the, you know, the stuff in their life to change, and I've even seen it with de de demonic possession. Somebody has their, the demon cast out, but you don't begin to pursue God. You think, oh, now I'm free of that. I can do whatever I need to do. I can live my life again. That's exactly the opposite of what Scripture says. It says if you, don't, if you don't put something in that house, if all you do is have an empty, clean house, Satan will come back and mess with you again because you're still not under the authority of Jesus. You were under the authority of Satan, and, and through um, the power of Jesus or Jesus' name, the demon has been cast out, but you have not received or put Jesus in your heart or replaced that with with the Holy Spirit and, and the power of Jesus. And so that's why I think sometimes we get so susceptible to stuff. Fasting says, not only am I saying less of me, but I'm also saying more of you, Lord. Not just less of me, 
you know, John didn't say so that I may decrease and stop there. He said so that the Lord may increase. That's, that's the point of this. Um, a lot of things that people do, because human nature likes to, likes, to, um, likes to earn God's blessings and God's grace, so people do things, right? They, they, um, I, I, there was this, there was this um, uh, m- little mountain. I mean, it wasn't really a mountain, but it kind of was, in El Paso when I was a kid. And there was, the, the Catholics would go up this little mountain. There was a trail that went around it, kind of toward the top. And, it, and they would go on their hands and knees till they got to the top of that little mountain. Bloody their hands and knees up. Because if they believed that if they did that when they got to the mountain, that God would give them extra blessing or, or favor or whatever the case is. But, but here's the thing is you, you're not, you just have an empty house. You created that paradigm. God didn't. God didn't ask you to do that. God shed his blood so we don't have to. He says that. Paul's pretty clear about that. But we think we can earn something from God. Just, just getting the house clean, you still have to let Jesus be in charge. Because he's the only one that literally can be in, in control. He's the only God above all gods. Okay? What's another way that uh, we fight Satan? Okay, um, explain that a little bit. I think when we, um, if we don't confess, our hearts get hard, and sin grows in that. Sin gets worse in that. Sin's like a vortex. It can go deeper and get worse and worse and worse. But when we're confessing our sins to Christ, it keeps us in a state of a, a softer heart and conscious of what we're doing and how it's wrong, and we're apologizing to God and we're asking His forgiveness. We're staying in the realm of His holiness so we can attempt to keep on fighting it. But if we don't yeah. do that anymore, our heart gets harder. Well, and, and some just basic, we all know this because we, we've all had this happen in our life. The moment you confess something, it's no longer controlling you. When you get it out in the open, specifically with the important people that it involves or with the people of your life, when you get that out in the open, there's a freedom that comes along with that. And when you keep it bound up, Satan can use it against you, constantly use it against you. Because you're deceiving yourself that first no one knows, which sometimes that's the case, but usually somebody knows stuff. Or you say, well, this is not important for anybody else to know. I got control of this. No, you don't. It, it will control you, but confessing it to, to one another, that's a, a healthy thing. Now, um, sometimes, back in the day I saw this a few times, where people thought that you needed to stand and confess it in church to everybody. I don't necessarily think that's true. In fact, that's not even a good idea sometimes. But that was kind of common in, in, in some of the churches I was at when I was a kid. But really, it's the confessing to the per- people that it matters to, that it's important to. Okay? If you've lied to somebody, you confess it to them. Um, that, that's, part of the, that's part of the context of how it's controlling you and then how you freed up from that. And confession in a general sense is really, when you have an accountability partner, the confession in a general sense keeps you kind of um, in tune, keeps you focused. And then when it goes to anger, bitterness, and stuff like that, the longer you keep it locked up, the more the bitterness grows. The moment you begin to confess that, the bitterness can begin to seep away, right? Mostly because Satan just doesn't have any control over you at that point. So, So that's getting me closer to... Uh, where I want to go with this, all right? Um, how do we fight Satan? I want, to, I want to show you something, and I'm going to unpack this a lot more Sunday morning, but I want us to, I want us to look at a different scripture that I'm going to talk about Sunday. I'm not, talking, I'm not using this scripture Sunday, but in James, um, James chapter 4, let's go to verse 7. He says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, so that's a big statement, but what does it mean, resist the devil? What does that mean, resist the devil? How do you resist the devil? Um, I mean, resisting the devil to me is like putting on the armor of God. 
um, every day. Like, a, you know, it doesn't say daily in Ephesians, but to me that means it's like clothing. You put on clothes every day. You put on the armor of God daily. So. Okay, so how does, how does, that, how does putting on the armor of God resist the devil? Because you're being intentional. You're praying. You're um, seeking to be righteous. You're, um, you know, you're seeking to work out your salvation with, uh, with God each and every day. Um, so it's, I think it's more about intentionality of not just saying, I have the sword of the spirit or, you know, that kind of thing. But like, I am, this is me. I'm taking my place in the kingdom of God today. What will you have for me today, Lord? Let me look for opportunities. Let me resist the devil intentionally. Yeah, I know there's different exercises I've seen people do where they pray through the armor of God every day and they put it on every day kind of thinking. I think there's some validity to that. That To me, that would be a, a healthy spiritual discipline because what you're doing is you're thinking down through those things from your helmet to your feet and all the different things that are involved. When you, so when you get to the, um, the, uh, the shoes or the sandals, what is the sandals in the in the um, in the um, armor of God? No, the gospel. You're you're over two tonight, Aspen. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the gospel. So when you're saying I'm putting on the shoes, well, what do shoes do? They, they give you the ability to go without hurting your feet. You're now mobile. You have shoes on your mobile. But these shoes are specifically, your mobility is specifically for what purpose? The gospel. So when you're walking down through this stuff, you're being very intentional, praying through these kind of things. Another, another way to resist the devil is praise and worship. Because try, just try to daydream while you're singing praise and worship. And I'm going to tie that to Romans um, 12.1 that present your bodies as a living sacrifice because this is your spiritual service of worship. So that really everything we do, everywhere we go, everything we say, everything we think, we're presenting our bodies as a spiritual service of worship. So we don't want to just think of worship as songs, but that just being aware that Everything we do, we do for God. Yeah. Yeah, worship, we do this so much in the American church. We, we really think worship is limited to what we do in a church when music is happening. You know, or maybe turning on. <coughs> maybe turning on some worship music while we're driving down the road or something. Those are all good things. Those are worship. But worship is more about who we are in relationship with God. Okay, I, I used this example years ago. I've used it a few times, but I, I think for some reason it doesn't connect in other people's head the same way it connects in my head. But I'll try it again. Um, if uh, So in a, in a marriage relationship, I know you can have both, but I'm saying if you can only have one, if it's either or, would you rather have your spouse... Um, tell you that they love you and, and give you adoration when you're behind closed doors and then nothing anywhere else? Or would you rather have them brag on you, give adoration and stuff like that out in public? For me, and you're like, why can't I have both? Because it's my story. The, the, the thing is, if it's being done in public, it's more than likely being done at home also. That's always been my answer to the question. But people are thinking, well, I think maybe I'd rather have it at home, but I don't know, it'd be nice to have it in public. Or whatever. But here's the thing. If, if you're never bragging on God out in public, are you really, is your heart really bragging on him in private? Are you even spending that time with him in private? If, you, if you're intimidated and don't want to talk about Jesus anywhere in public, it shouldn't, doesn't that kind of tell you maybe something's not as solid in private? And, and, I've, and I've heard this all my life where, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. Do you ever witness? Do you ever talk to anybody? Do you ever minister to anybody in public? I'm not saying your friends. I'm saying people that are just in public. Because to me, 
I mean, you can't talk to me very long at all before I'm talking to you about my wife and then I'm going to eventually, well, very quickly get to my grandkids. I don't, I don't really ever talk about my kids. But, I mean, that's the thing is, I actually do. But I'm very, I'm very proud of my wife and I'm very um, honored that she's my wife. And she comes up very quickly in conversations. Very quickly. Um, everybody at the Capitol has been telling me, they're, you know, how are you from the wreck? Because they had apparently announced it to everybody. And um, when I got there today, how are you doing? Everything okay? Blah, 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 blah. And, and um, yesterday, too, some. But asking me about all this stuff, and, and the first thing I said is, oh, it was my wife's car. And everybody, oh, is she okay with this? I'm like, no, she's not okay with this. She, she wasn't like, oh, thanks for wrecking my car. And if you keep saying that. Go sit with Aspen. <clears throat> so, so here's the thing is, is the, there's a concept of what it means to give adoration and worship. That really is how you combat some of the stuff that Satan does. Because what worship does so it brings you back into to mental, emotional, spiritual relationship, understanding that God is bigger. The reason you're worshiping God is because he's way bigger than you. You, know, you don't worship something that's equal with you. It doesn't make sense. Josh? Um, I think that um, <clears throat> obedience to the Lord is tied very much with like daily attitude of worship. Uh, specifically the example of uh, Abraham when he had his, God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. And, uh, and on the way up there, he tells the servants to stay behind. He said, uh, Isaac and I will go worship the Lord and then we'll return or whatever. And, uh, and, and I think that that's, to me, I think that's a, an amazing example in Scripture of just daily obedience and no matter what, and tied in with all the adoration and everything of I'm doing this because of who God is. I'm going to be obedient to him. And worship him in this way. Rick, did you have something? I kind of look at the uh, resisting Satan. It's kind of in a physical training as aspect of it. At first, it's not easy. Especially if there's something specifically that you've been involved in. And you say, no, I'm not doing that anymore. At first, it's not easy. But the more you do it, the easier it is to push him away. To get him away. And you find ex going after the other is so much more easier you start working out it's it's not easy but you find that your body enjoys it you enjoy it and it, it's a great thing resisting satan is similar it's it's a spiritual exercise of that physical aspect it's not easy but you'll get stronger you keep doing it yeah and th th this is something that nobody's not said it but it but i don't i don't think i've heard this part yet is the intentionality of resisting the devil a lot of the things we're saying are more in a passive sense Right? And they're good, they're important, but they're in a passive sense. But what Josh was talking about, about the obedience, that now you're stepping into more of the realm of an intentionality of resisting Satan. And I'm going I'm to unpack that a little bit more. But Michael. Yeah, okay. So I have an idea, but I want to just amen on what Josh said. You know, I had an employee, I, we were doing some counseling and some talking to, and we were with HR, and he, even, and he said, I've done everything I can possibly do. And I said, except you haven't done anything I've asked you to do. And so you can kind of see how, how I mean, that's the same thing with obedience, with our children, with everything else. So obedience. Well, my, my other answer is in verse 8. Because in verse 7 it says resist the devil, but verse don't, 8. Don't go to 8. Yeah, yeah 8 says come, don't, no, don't come go to close eight. to God. Don't okay, go it's not eight. in verse 8, but just my idea is <laughs> you should come close to God because he'll come close to you. And, and it's really important. I mean, this is... Um, um, what now, now, now my, now my brain went dead. Rob was talking about, about coming close to God, about fasting being about coming close to God. It's not about the fast. It's about the coming close to God. When we're close to God, how can Satan get us? Yeah. How, how can he get us when we're under that protection? But I think that sometimes we, we over emphasize grace which sounds bad for me to say, but we overemphasize grace 
to such an extent that we forget about obedience, we want to minimize sin, and we don't believe that we have to be coming close to God. And, uh, and, we, and that's a very active thing, and it's a daily thing. And, and if we're not doing that, we're not standing firm. We're not doing the, the Ephesians, standing firm, right? Yeah. We've got to come to him. Yeah. Okay, so, so, um, so I am going to go to verse 8. But I want to I want to kind of look at it from a little different perspective, all right? And this is how this is directly from the context of fighting Satan, defeating Satan. And then using the terminology James does here about resisting the devil. Again, like I said, I did not see the importance of this for a long time. Because I because of kind of and I think there's an individualistic there's individualism. America is not a collective society. We, we're kind of going that direction right now, but we've never been a collective society. And there are, there are other societies. So in some of my degrees, the, some of the, the things that we did was study people groups around the planet and which one are collectivistic or which one are communal, and that's not the same thing, and, and how these different kind of communities work. And then you'll have individualistic or patriarchal, all these different kind of things, and how these communities work. Well, America's never really been collectivistic. Um, can lean toward communal, but not, but not collectivistic. And so we have this very individual mindset. So then what happens is if I, if I, um, if I sin, we think that is completely limited to just me, right? This is one of the, this is one of the arguments I heard for people wanting to, to vote marijuana uh, legal, make it legal, was, well, if I'm just sitting in my house smoking pot, I'm not hurting anybody. Okay, well, let's use that same argument on alcohol. How does that work? Do we just sit in our house and drink our alcohol and it never affects anybody? That's never, ever been how it works. And, and I, this, is, this is one of my pet peeves because people will say, well, it's demonstrating alcohol and marijuana. In my opinion, nothing. They both should be outlawed. They're, they're destructive. Alcohol is the most destructive force in, in our entire country. More people die from alcohol and alcohol-related deaths, and more people go to, to jail and prison because of alcohol stuff. But then people say, well, it's the same you know, with marijuana. Well, if I just sit and smoke it in my house, it doesn't matter. Nobody's affected. You ever been driving down the road, and you all of a sudden smell marijuana in your car? Happens all the time. And by the way, try going to the Capitol building. A 10-block radius, and there, you smell nothing but pot. Well, so that's already not true. They are, people are smoking. I drive up beside people in their car all the time. They're, they're smoking a doobie. Smoking some hippie lettuce. But, but here's the thing with that is, we think that sin doesn't ever creep out. But here's the, here's the thing we're not processing. Sin and darkness is already out there. The only thing it's done is creep in. It's everywhere. And when we allow it to creep in, we are light. And when we allow it to creep in, that light is diminished to the point where it can go out. We're supposed to be doing the opposite, where we are light, and so we're trying to get that light to go out and, and push back the darkness and, and illuminate the areas of darkness. Well, here's one of the ways that we do this, is we resist the devil. How do we resist the devil? One of the biggest things that we can do in spiritual warfare is say no to whatever Satan is offering doesn't matter what he's offering. Just say no to it. And you will begin to combat what Satan is trying to do and being effective in many places all, over the, all around you. Satan is being very effective. But if you say no to whatever he offers you, that light shines out a little bit brighter. He's encroaching in, encroaching in. You say no, and it pushes that back. And now the light... 
is shining in the darkness. And as it was talked about Jesus and the darkness, will will not even understand it, won't comprehend it. Darkness does not understand light, doesn't comprehend grace and mercy and true love and forgiveness. This is one of the things we see all over the place is where when you really take a stand, people really do get confused. And they don't quite understand why this means so much to you. I've even had that happening at the Capitol with Republicans, that they don't understand why I stand for what I do so much. And I've had them try to talk me out of it. You know, you need to just kind of back some of this stuff up. I've had three different representatives tell me I need to tone down my abortion language. So back that up. How, how, do you, how do you back that up? How do you tone down don't murder babies? I, I do. That's, that's, that is the air I breathe. But, but here's the thing with this, guys. Darkness is always going to try to encroach. You know how you, you, know how you, you, you fight that? You live for Jesus. Now, guys, this is where it gets really... Um, This is where it gets challenging for us. There are things that all of us do on a regular basis that allow the darkness to encroach in a little bit. All right? I'm not saying we're sinners going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. That's between you and the Lord. But my son and I were just talking about this today, that the things that are part of... what, What things are you plugging into right now in society that are not healthy, that they're part of something bigger, okay? Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you're plugging into things in society. I've been, I've been watching this for 30 years, and it changes, it changes, it changes, but it's always basically the same, but it looks a little different, okay? We get mad about a subject, but we're mad about the main part of the subject, but all the auxiliaries we're supporting, Okay, you give me an example of what I just talked about. What do you think I'm saying when I say that? I am kind of making it vague because I want you to think, but there's a subject that we would say as a Christian, I do not like this. I cannot stand this subject, the core of it. But then all of the feelers, the leaders out there, We're supporting those. We're actually making those peripherals healthier, which strengthens the core, and we don't even realize it, but as the core, if I just got up and said, as as if I I give you subject, and I'll do that in here in a second. If I just give you a subject, everybody here would say, Yeah, that's not right. We oh we should stand against that. Except over here we're doing this, and over here we're doing this and this, and we're supporting this main subject. What I think about is when the whip of your party got up and uh, kind of dissed you guys for uh, promoting you to be Speaker of the House. And he spoke about unity being the most important thing. Unity's not the most important thing. Ethics are. Yeah, principles, ethics, yeah. morals. So, so give, me a, give me a subject that we would all say, this is not good, this is a sin. And we're going to stand against it. Pedophilia. Let's start. Let's start with the big one. Um, no, that's that's legit. Okay, this 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 is the easiest one to use. Actually, we all know pedophilia is wrong, right? We believe strongly that it's wrong, and we say we're going to stand against pedophilia. But what are peripherals that we actually support that feed pedophilia? Okay. Don't, don't give him the microphone. I don't support that, so. Okay, uh, uh, abortion. Now, okay, that's a different subject. Let's not, let's not, let's go back, let's go to that next. Let's keep pedophilia and abortion separate. I could see how you could link them, but. The way I see them linked is, if you have, the way I see them linked is if you don't put any value on children, then you're going to not be against pedophilia, Right. Right. 
Yeah, okay, so what I'm saying, the reason I'm asking the question this way is I stand against abortion and I stand against pedophilia, all right? But let's just pick pedophilia. What are some things that we could actually be doing? I'm saying as Christians, we could be doing that, that, that actually can enforce and reinforce pedophilia. Okay, uh, the stuff that we're allowing in our public schools. But, but again, we're standing against that. We're still talking about things that we stand against. I'm saying things that we support. This is difficult because we have to, we have got to get a little more honest about some things. Hold on, just say so he's got Moses. Um, some of those things could possibly be um, some of the entertainment that we watch or support. Okay. Very much so. Give me an example. Um, I don't know. Almost. I know, I, I know there's like HBO shows that, you know, are pretty blatant about it. Yeah. Now, those are kind of easier ones to pick on. But, guys, anything, anything that we're partaking in, spending money on that has nudity in, you're, you're contributing to pedophilia. Now, we like to say, oh, no, it doesn't matter. You know, it was just a movie, and uh, she just took her top off. I mean, how does that? Anything that you are supporting that has some kind of sexual nudity content within it, it is going to feed pedophilia. Statistically, that's all over the place you can find. Anything that you're doing that does that, because what happens is the person gets younger and younger and younger in the movies, and pretty soon you've got... It may be 22-year-olds, they're, but they're playing 16-year-olds in the movie. And they're having sex with people. You're supporting pedophilia. And we go to movies and we're like, well, that, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just acting. It's not real. That money supports this stuff. It feeds it all over our country. It's a little more subtle, but I have young granddaughters that are like 9 and 10, and they're wanting to wear uh, mascara to school and, um, you know, the kind of clothes they want to buy. And, you know, I'm, it's a real dilemma for me because I want to put them in a gunny sack, and, you know, it's a lot harder um, when they want to be hip and part of the crowd, but then they're, being, they're dressing suggestively, and they don't even know it. And yeah. so it's a dilemma. <laughs> Yeah, the, the 10-year-old girl doesn't know she's dressing suggestively. Oh, and by the way, I, I'm not allowed to say this stuff because I'm somehow shaming the girl. Uh, if you ever say anything to any girl about the way they dress, well, you're shaming the girl and you're putting her in a box or whatever the case is. But for years, even when I was back in the day when I was a youth pastor, I would say, you can, you can forget that. I'm going to talk about this stuff because girls dress ways oftentimes that they don't realize Sometimes they do, which is a sad part, how the boys are looking at them. That 10-year-old girl may dress suggestively. There's a 25-year-old watching her. And we don't like to admit that in our society today, but it's true. And this stuff is real, and it's going on around us all the time. I had a pastor one time. He's, he's, he was speaking to um, college students. He used to meet us for lunch at, in, in one of the halls in college, and and he's speaking to the girls, and he said, if it's not for sale, don't advertise it. I like that. So do you guys understand? And we could do this with a lot of other things, okay? Abortion, we say, well, I stand against abortion. But if we're not standing against casual sex, then we're not really standing against abortion. That used to be a sin, but it's not a sin anymore. Nobody even talks about it. It doesn't matter to anybody anymore. But it does. These things have consequences through all areas of society. And then we come back and we say, well, as long as it's just me, this is one of the arguments for pornography. In fact, specifically since you can get it on the computer, well, if it's, not, if it's just me, it's not affecting anybody else, what does it matter? Because it doesn't just affect you. Pornography affects everybody. Anybody that is, that is um, engaged with pornography, they, it changes the way they see people in society. It changes the way they interact with them. They begin to see them as more of a sexual object rather than as a human being. It affects everybody. All this stuff does. And pornography feeds pedophilia. All of this stuff. Pornography feeds rape. All, but, but, but pornography is okay. We're not allowed to say that stuff. These, all of these kind of things, are, there's, 
there's ancillary issues that are always going on constantly in our society, and we just kind of play around with this stuff. Instead of saying, no, this is not okay. We've got to, we've, eventually, somebody's got to take a stance on this. I can give an example of this. Um, within the military, pornography is prevalent. And I had a soldier who was feeding my command pornography. He was the displayer when we were downrange. Up to the point that they found a file on his disc that dealt with child pornography. Then he went down. Though everybody should have been going down before that. But what I have learned by dealing with soldiers with this is it just goes deeper and deeper. And they end up in places they never thought. And a lot of times into the pedophilia. Yeah, pornography and and sexual deviation in in any kind of context um, leads to other things. It's an addiction. It leads to other things. That's why having a, a holy, godly concept of the marriage bed is so important because you, then, then, then you're, you're drawing closer to God. You're doing this in relationship with each other, emotionally, mentally, and even sexually, you're drawing closer to God in relationship. And so then, according to Scripture, it doesn't say this specifically, but all things are going to be better for you. Well, that includes your sexuality. It's going to be better for you long-term the more you go toward God with everything. And I've had couples come in and talk to me about, well, my sex life is horrible. Are you committing it to God? You mean like pray about it? Yes, let's pray about your sex life right now. You want to make a room uncomfortable. <laughs> Tell them, okay, we're going to pray. Tell the guy. I always, I always have the guys pray first. Why? They're the priests of the household. Okay, pray for your sex life. They have no clue what to ask. God doesn't want to know about this stuff. Like God's got his eyes closed during times. Okay. Yeah, they actually do come back. When you, when you do that, people are like, you know, that's interesting. I've never thought about this before. I've never thought about praying about this stuff. But, but here's the reality, guys. God, God is concerned about everything in our life. So now let's go to verse 8. Come close to God. One of the ways you resist the devil is you come close to God. You get underneath his covering. You, you go into the word of God. You figure out what God does not like for you to do, and you don't do that. And then you find out things God does like you to do, and you do those things. It's really common sense. It's really so much easier than we make it sometimes. We just play around with sin, and we just keep playing around with sin and playing around with sin. When, when we stop all of that, we now have the ability to begin to resist the devil. Because he's going to try to tempt you. He's going to try to hurt you. He's going to try to tear you down. The way you resist that is you get close to God and you do what God says. In all areas of your life, when there's things in your life that are not matching up to God, get rid of them because it's not just affecting you. That darkness is encroaching. Satan's trying to overtake you and he's trying to destroy you. But he also wants to take out as many people as possible. And part of the reason that our world and our country specifically is so bad is because we don't resist the devil. We don't say no to sin. And I'm saying across the board. We don't say no to sin. You guys have heard me say this, but I I believe this with everything in me. The the main reason that Washington hates Trump so bad is not because he was such a great leader president, and I think he did amazing things, okay? I didn't expect that stuff from him, but he did amazing stuff. But when he said, I'm going to drain the swamp, he was specifically talking about pedophilia. And he, and, he, and he started going, and you can look on this stuff online. He started going after all kinds of uh, child um, pornography rings, child um, abusing rings, all kinds of stuff in Washington and in New York, I mean in uh, Hollywood. That's where he started going after them. And everybody came out against him. Um, this is too broad now, but back in the day, to me, kinda, I could kind of tell who was really not quite what they were saying they were by saying who came out the strongest against him. I'm saying as like Republicans. Because why would you come out so strongly? Because he tweets? I'm not buying it. There's more. There's spiritually more. And guys, in Washington is a cesspool of pedophilia. Hollywood is a cesspool of pedophilia. This, this is the kind of thing where when we are, when we are supporting, we do this with, with child actor stars, and, we, and our children emulate all of these actors and all this kind of stuff. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. Why are these people so important I don't care what the Kardashians are doing. 
They are a blight. There's nothing positive from any of that. Who cares? But, But we should be caring about what Jesus is telling us. We should be caring about how I can minister to somebody else. But we so plug into society, we're feeding all this stuff. We're feeding this. I, sometimes people make fun of me because I don't know who the latest so-and-so out there is. I don't care. It's not, that I, it's not that they are not important to somebody. That's fine. They're just not important to me. I don't care. But I do care when I see somebody ministering to somebody or, or somebody got saved. Or that, I care about that stuff. Well, somewhere we've got to get some some really fighting against Satan. And the way Scripture says we do this, one of the biggest ways is we live a life of holiness. We draw closer to the Lord. He said, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Is there anything that describes the American church better than that? Our loyalty, well, there's some God stuff. But there's a lot of not God stuff that we just, it's part of church thinking nowadays. It's just who we are. When do we just stop it all and say, Satan is not going to keep winning. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to fight this stuff. I'm going to fight against sin. I'm going to fight against the, the, the thinking processes that brings us to sin. You don't have to go on some kind of crazy march or something. Just stop letting the sin invade any area that you have control over. I've even seen this in workplaces. If, you, if you're a, in charge in a specific workplace and there are people that are doing things that you know they shouldn't be doing, why are you not standing up against it? Specifically, you're in charge. Why are you not standing up against it? Well, it's just easier and nobody's hurting anything. You know, this, this wreck that I had, people are saying this about the insurance. Well, you know, it's just one insurance company paying another insurance company. There's no losers here. It's a victimless crime. You know, like take advantage of the insurance company. That is not a victimless crime. There is no such thing as a victimless crime. Somebody pays for something every time we do something. And I'm not just saying monetarily. Every time something happens, there are consequences that that move through society Every time we sin, there are consequences that move through society. So I don't have that big of a sphere of influence. You don't have to. The darkness is everywhere. You're just feeding it. You're just feeding the darkness that's out there by contributing to darkness. But when you shine the light, you're pushing it back. You're pushing it back. Every time you say no to sin, you are attacking the kingdom of hell. And Satan does not like that. Say no to sin. Just because it's sin. Not because anybody benefits or doesn't benefit, but just because it's sin. Even something we might consider a little sin. Oh, nobody will notice. Don't let the darkness encroach. Be that light at all times. And here's something else that will happen is other people will know that about you. Even if you're not um, shouting it out or displaying it. When you're a person of integrity, people know that. People recognize that. I did say this. I said this somewhere today. Mark, you were with me, I think. Oh, I I said it in our little caucus meeting. But I said, you know, please don't argue with this right now, okay? I said, you know, in my church, everybody really likes me. You need to make a statement, Joy? Is there something? It's not. It's not. I stay irritated and frustrated, but it's not hard for me. In fact, a lot of the engagement, uh, the battle engagement mentality, I'm, I'm getting in, in that groove. I'm liking it. Not liking it, but I'm getting in the groove. I told her, I, I, told her, I said, um, but then I come up here and nobody likes me. But I'm okay with that because you guys like me. Right? Okay, thanks, Joy. He says, For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. He's talking about because of the 
of our loyalties being divided, the sin and the stuff that we, we jump into and we contribute to. You know, we may not be blatantly sinning, but we're dipping our toe in the water. And, and um, I think Moses is the one that said it, but the things we watch, the stuff we're involved in, the things we listen to, are they pleasing to God? Do, do we ever even think to ourselves, I wonder what God thinks about this? I wonder what God thinks about this. I, this was a couple years ago, but I was listening to this band and their music and stuff like that. And then one time I was really listening to it. And I'm like, this is not good stuff. I guess I just never paid attention. And um, I said that to Emily, and she said, yeah, Dad, they've never been a good group. I'm like, well, nobody told me. I wasn't, I, that's not like me, though, because I listen to, like, every note and every lyric and everything. And I realized this is not a good song. This is not a good band. They're pervs. So I don't listen to them. Because it's not that. Just don't. Just resist the devil. Just resist. I know it, it's, we make it so difficult. Just resist. And he says in verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. When you humble yourself, and what is the other three in Second Chronicles? Humble yourself. Pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways. Then he will hear from heaven, and he will hear your land. As we just, we've just got to get in the direction. And I do believe the, the way Rob was saying earlier, fasting really does help you do this quickly. Um, years ago, the first time I ever fasted, I've talked about it a little bit before, but I fasted for 11 days, first time I ever fasted. And I didn't know there was, a, there was a side effect that I had not processed, okay? Linda and I had this uh, barbecue place that we'd go to called Charlie's. And they would, they would take onion rings. And you know the little metal things they drop down in, the grease? They would pack that with these onion rings that were thin, thin, thin batter, just paper-thin batter. They were beautiful. And, and, and then they'd just put it on a plate and turn it over so you had this big square, you know. They didn't, they didn't dress it up. They just, here it is. We, man, we, would, we didn't have much money, but we would save up money so we could go to this place and have those onion rings. We wouldn't even eat the rest. We could only afford the onion rings. And we would eat the onion rings. And I'd fasted for 11 days, and I told Linda, Linda, when I, when we, when I start eating again, I want to go to Charlie's, and I want to have those onion rings. Do you know, I did not know this, but when, when you go that long without food, yeah, there's other things. I'm not going there. But when I put that first onion ring in my mouth, I could taste the grease. And I could taste how old the grease was. And I could taste every single thing that I had not tasted before. And they weren't good. I could order pretty quick. But, <clears throat> but it was something that I hadn't thought about before. The, the longer you get away from stuff, the easier it is to recognize the problems with it when you get back to it. And I can prove this to you. Ask the teenagers this in a month. When they finish their media fast, when you first go back, Lynn and I did that for years. We didn't have a TV for like two years at one time in our life, so we just didn't watch TV. We did other things. We finally got cable again and started watching and, and we, we, were, we were appalled by the commercials. We couldn't watch it. Liz, are you going to say something? It's really great for all the what? Oh, so you make up for lost time. <clears throat> and then you got to watch the halftime show, which is never good. Yeah, you, they don't watch it. They turn off. But, um, but guys, it's true. Put, stop doing some things. Stop something in your world. Not for a few days, but like for three or four weeks. And the first time you engage with that again, you will, you will only see the negative of it. Because why? Your eyes are opened. Your spirit is more sensitive. For me, fasting, my, my taste buds were more sensitive. Something I had not processed. All right. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for you. We thank you for being truly righteous and truly holy. And God, I know that Satan is attacking all the time. He's attacking every one of us. He wants to wear us down. He wants to to, um, hurt us. He wants to cause problems in our life. But God, we know that you are bigger. Lord, greater, greater are you in me than anything out there in the world. So let me come close to you, draw close to you, and not, and not be splitting my emotions, my spirit between you and the world. But Lord, I want to be all in with you. That I say no to sin. I say no to anything that even looks like sin because you're the king. I submit myself to you. You're the king, Jesus. Lord, I pray for our church that our church will, will just pursue holiness. Lord God, that all the junk that Satan tries to do will have no effect because we're going to be light. We're going to be shining bright as light. I stand against any attacks that Satan does that has against any of us here, anybody in our church at large. God, that you give us protection. You give us distance between us and Satan by covering us with your wings, Lord God, and drawing us in close. God, we thank you. We thank you because you do have a plan. You do have a plan to protect us. You do have a plan to keep us out of sin, to keep us away from the the reaches of Satan. God, help us to choose that, your plan, instead of what what we just partake in and what we do so easily. God, we resist the devil, and he will flee. We resist Satan's plans, and he will flee. We resist its temptations, and he will flee. We resist anything that he has, and he will, he will be more afraid of us at that moment, and he will run away because we are, we are saying no to whatever he's offering. God, and we say yes to whatever you're offering. We say yes to your word and to relationship and commitment and intimacy. We say yes in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for this. God, and, and help our church be a fasting church too. We'll just, we'll just do that. So lead us and guide us in that also. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. It's late. So let's go home. We need help tearing down chairs, stacking chairs for the men's rally. Thank you, Lord. <laughs>